This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Thank you so much. <laughs> Don't worry, Elliot. We've got it sorted. Elliot's worrying already. That's it's, why my friends call me Whiskers. That's why. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Great to see you uh, on the eve of what has been an amazing season of football and podcasting. And you've all been part of it with us. And uh, just at the top of the show, we want to say how much we appreciate you guys for being with us from start to finish and for being here this evening. So thank you very much. Um, in, in, tribute, in tribute to Arsenal season, the first 75% of this podcast is gonna be brilliant. <laughs> that much we can guarantee. Uh, yeah, and I just, I also want to echo Andrew's sentiments and say thank you. This night was one of the memories of a lifetime last season, and being back here is incredible. And everybody in this room is uh, someone who has supported us in a really special way, and we can't tell you how much the community means, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the night goes on. For sure. But we wanted to do something uh, different than last year as well, because this is a, a wedding of two podcasts, and we're all good friends, and we thought, how could we do it a little bit differently this time? And... I thought, you know, we could get another podcaster. What do you think? The guys were like, yeah, I think, I think another podcaster could fit the bill. We never decided who to replace, though. No, but 
then I thought, what kind of podcaster do we need? Maybe one who has his own house. Maybe one who has scored, I don't know, 185 goals for Arsenal. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Ian Wright. That's when you miss it. I miss you. I miss you. I miss that singing, man. I miss you. Thank you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. Wow. Anyway, so the rest of us will see you later. <laughs> Ian, we, we talked during the season on a podcast and... and the theme was like how you have to enjoy this season yep. as it's going along, despite maybe some of the problems we ran into or some of the obstacles we were facing, the fun times that we had watching those games and watching you enjoy the goals in the Premier League studios or <laughs> match of the day studios. <laughs> I don't know, goal, goals against Newcastle, for example. I don't, you know, just throwing it out there, but yeah. I, I, can you put into words what this season has been as an experience for you as someone who loves the club, but someone who's had to, to cover it from top to bottom all the way through? You know what, it, this has been an, an amazing season. You know, we have to, you have to sit back now, right? Because when we start the season, if anybody in this room said they wouldn't have been happy, especially after we lost to Newcastle last season, when we thought that that was gonna be it, we're gonna beat them going to fourth, and then they beat us as well. And then, you know, to, to go that far like we did this season and only, you know, we wanted to finish fourth. We wanted Champions League. That's what I wanted at the start of the season because I did not think that our team, as good as they were with the additions, Jesus and Zinchenko, you know what I mean, to, to, just, to, to, just to name them two, I thought that, yeah, that's going to be a good addition. So, yeah, if we can challenge for fourth, I'd be happy. So for us to, to fight that monster and hold them off for so long. In the end, they just drained the fuck out of us. We couldn't, we couldn't do it anymore in the end. The team done everything they could. It's been a, a great season. We finished second. It's been an amazing season. The disappointment, the, the disappointment, the, dis the, the, the only disappointment is because we flew so close to the sun. We flew so close. I keep saying to people, it's like Icarus. You know, we're flying close, but we deserve to be there. We deserve to be there. And that is why it's, for me, it's a successful season. And I'm really excited about what's going to happen um, in the summer. Very excited. At least we're not Dortmund fans. Huh? At least we're not Dortmund fans today. Oh, uh, uh, no, I uh, know. Poor Lewis. <laughs> you mentioned the summer, Ian, and the yeah. future. And we saw you the other day 
with Kai Saka signing a new contract. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, we, we all know how much this club means to you, but sitting down with him to commemorate him signing that contract, could you see it in him as well? And is that a big part of why you're so excited for what's to, still to come? Absolutely. And, and what was good about the interview, what I've done with Bukayo was, you know, we was talking before and he says, obviously, when you're doing contracts like this and it's a vital contract, he's a big player for us. We, you know, we want him forever. He said there was never any doubt what was going on. You know, it was one of those, I'm glad he didn't do what I'd done. I remember Mr. Dean, you know, I'd go in and I'd, I'd sign contracts without even doing negotiations, you know. <laughs> Mr. Dean talks about it like it's a great thing and my, my missus is still giving me absolute <laughs> shit for it. But like, you know, the contract, the contract had to be sorted, but he was in, he was in no doubt where he wanted to be. He's saying he's so happy. He's got unbelievable family around him, everything. It's just, we need, we need Bukayo Saka at our club for as long as we can keep him there. And if he continues to, to progress like he is, people are going to try and take him. But with Mikel, with Edu and the work they're going to do and hopefully what they, what they can achieve, then you're hoping that the players that will come to, to help him, like when we were there, and we, 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 then we got Dennis. You know, those players, we need to continue to bring those players so people like Bukayo stays at Arsenal forever. We're a club that you can... We've got to get back to that place where we're challenging or winning, we're playing the Champions League, where players will retire here. They'll come here and they'll stay through their prime. We've got that stature. And that is what you want with someone like Bakaya. You want him to stay for the whole of his career because if he does, we will be winning things. You know? what, what kind of a message does it send you know, when we have someone like Bakayo Saka and we have got him to commit his future, and he is one of the best players in the Premier League, one of the best players in England, if not Europe, and when you are trying to do the work that Mikel and Edu and the, the team are, uh, we all hope that they'll do this summer, when other players see someone like Saka sign on, does that give them a, like, okay, this Absolutely. is the place to be? Absolutely. Because you, you, you find that there'll be people, there'll, be, there'll probably be like a continuation of other people sign and they'll sign and they'll sign because what will happen is you're waiting to see who's staying. You know, you're waiting, you, you, you probably, Bakayo and his people will probably want to know who's coming because let, let's face it, you know, Bakayo Sacco is not a too far away from a hundred million pound player. There's people who will take him today. So he's, have, he, him and his, his family and his, his team, they have every right to want to know if, if we match the ambition and we do. And that's why he signed. So then when that happens, it's a domino effect. Everybody else wants to stay because they know that if he's staying, that some, the success is coming and the quality players is coming. Because that's what he'll probably ask for in his deal. Yep. You know, I remember Wayne Rooney done it with Alex Ferguson. It, you know, it wasn't quite great. But I think that when you look at someone like Bakayo Saka, he's got every right at his age to ask, well, what's the future? Because this player should be, and we saw in the World Cup, you know, this player should be playing on the biggest stage and, 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 and the biggest games for us. And that is why I feel that that would be a, it's a, it's a totem pole player for us. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the season and maybe break it down into some chunks. And um, I think the, the one to start with, Elliot, I'll ask you, and, and we can go across, is the, 
the moment of the season for you? What was the moment of the season for you? And we've had a big fight backstage where, uh, you know, everyone wants to pick Bournemouth, but <laughs> we're going to have to put our thinking caps on here. Well, my love language is touch. I like hugging, I'm a hugger, and so the best cuddle of the year, sorry to my beautiful wife who's in the first row, was with Clive when Reese Nelson scored the winner uh, against Bournemouth. That was definitely the moment of the season for me, and I think because we uh, often think about seasons only in terms of what they culminate with, we lose the opportunity to really celebrate and enjoy those individual moments. But that's such a shame because they lift us so high. And I think that moment is something that I will remember forever, not because we came second or didn't come first, obviously, any of that, just because I'll remember sharing it with Clive, I'll remember the atmosphere on the ground, I'll remember the poor life choices I made at the Tollington afterwards, and Very poor. my wife now scrutinizes the credit card statement a little more closely every month as a result of the, the decisions that were made there, but that's definitely the moment for me. All right. Paul, tell me your moment of the season. I'm going to go with, uh, like, we beat Spurs twice. We just kind of take that for granted now. But like, we went there and we beat the shit out of them. <laughs> they had it coming. They had, like they've got so far beyond themselves. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, that Daniel Levy interview where he's talking, he's trying to position how they used to be really good. So <laughs> don't slaughter them now for the fact that they're absolutely shite and we're miles ahead of them. Don't, don't flay me basically. Um, but the end of that game, the chaos, uh, I don't know if you celebrate Aaron Ramsdale getting kicked in the back, but <laughs> I've been working on my microphone. Yeah, I, I keep working. <laughs> I was going to do a sight gag. You're a pro, so I was going to bring some duct tape and put it up here, and then I decided, no, that, that's kind of obvious, um, and also you might actually use it on me and <laughs> strap my hand to the mic and then my, the mic to my face, but I'll try harder. Um, just the utter chaos at the end of that game, the fact that they felt they should kick Aaron Ramsdale in the back is probably a good sign. Uh, you know, Granite Xhaka <laughs> losing his marbles and Arteta saying, what the fuck? <laughs> There was so much comedic content there. It was just, there are so many great moments in this season. That was a classic that should be captured, bottled, preserved. Tim, what have you got? Yeah, I'm gonna say uh, the Arsenal Women Wolfsburg game. Um, <laughs> Although, although a heartbreaker in the end, I think seeing 60,000 people yeah. in that stadium and not just at that game, but it's like a slow culmination that's built up. So like when we had the North London Derby in September and it was 47,000, I had like a little moment where I was like, wow, I never thought this would happen. And I remember speaking to Lotta Wubben-Moy about this and she, I, I asked her like, did you ever think that this would happen and she said it's not that I didn't think it would happen it's that I didn't even think about it it wasn't like a thought that came into my head and I thought no that won't happen she said like the thought had never crossed her mind so I think um, I think that and you know a lot of the things the women's team have done particularly in the second half of the season that night against Bayern the Freedom Warnham goal and everything winning the Conti Cup 
Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and just like um, a little anecdote about the day we won the Conti Cup, that was the day after the Bournemouth game. So I was with Elliot and Clive. And to say, I've never lived within 25 miles of the Metropolitan Line, but somehow I ended up on the Metropolitan Line at midnight. <laughs> and, and I had to do Sky Sports News the next day. Um, and I wasn't feeling that fresh. And they didn't tell me there'd be a Chelsea fan there as well. And so we went pitch side at Selhurst Park and there was a Chelsea fan there and she looked at me and she went, oh, I blocked you on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, I wouldn't be doing my job if you didn't because like, that's not a market share I'm looking for. So for, that, for, for the women to do the business that day as well. But, but that Wolfsburg game, 60,000 people watching Arsenal women, amazing. James, you've had some moments <laughs> quite recently. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very everybody. much. Everybody. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, I think, I mean, there were so many, but one of the great themes of this season has been belief. You know, this idea that we've really believed in something. And there was a particular moment where my faith and my belief changed slightly because I began to believe very distinctly in karma and it was when that ball came off the crossbar <laughs> and hit the back of Emmy Martinez's head <laughs> and went into the net and it was it was an amazing win and an amazing moment but you know, people keep saying they need a solution for goalkeepers' time-wasting. If that happened to every goalkeeper, it would sort it out in a hurry. But, you know, that was one of those great moments along the way where you just felt like, ah, oh, it has to be. This is it. And that was, yeah, one of those particular games. I, I think that was uh, the moment where, perhaps getting a little bit carried away, I added an extra day to my hotel booking for this weekend. <laughs> I, I got to the hotel on Friday and uh, gave him my name. Oh, Mr. Mangan, you're staying with us for four nights, is it? I was like, I fucking forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the parade. No parade, okay, but still. <laughs> Clive, tell us. Yeah, I've got a couple, right? And the reason why Tim didn't feel fresh that day was because Elliot bought 100 Jaeger bombs at about. <laughs> and, and then. Uh, Literally, Elliot, do you think you're up to 700 Jaeger bombs? Yeah, yeah. I'm willing to try. <laughs> to see the trays going across the Tollington like that, just going across the top, I thought, oh my goodness. And my wife had to talk me home, literally walking around, do a left, do a right, do a left, do a right. <laughs> so like, uh, that, was a, that, was a long, that was a long night, <laughs> it went down well. But my, my, mo my other moment of the season, apart from Bournemouth, obviously, was, um, funny enough, it was Man United, actually. And um, I, something... Something happened that night, not just the fact we won, but how dominant we were. And when I got home and looked at the stats and seeing me touches we had in their box, I thought, oh my goodness, we've just battered them. And then uh, we, went, we went out for a drink afterwards and then I came back round the ground, maybe 
maybe two hours after the game had finished and there were loads of people outside the ground. There was some sort of dance competition going on and I'm thinking, oh, I'm way too old for that. I'm not going to join in. <laughs> but I just, I felt something similar to what James felt at, um, at Villa. I think you have these moments where you start to believe, don't you? And you get a bit carried away. But Man United, growing up with them battering us and being on top of us, to see, put them in their box, I, I really, that was my moment. Today was the day Manchester United entered the title race, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Been a long time coming. I've got a couple, I'll throw this to Ian, but I've got a couple, and I think one of the... Uh, one of the things about this season for me has been just how much fun it has been. Um, you know, we've had some difficult seasons that haven't been anywhere near as much fun. And uh, I think going back to the Bournemouth game, the small boy appearing on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> and Mikel Arteta just going... <laughs> how did you get here I, I don't think that can be topped and I enjoyed obviously as Paul referenced we beat Spurs twice which is you know worth repeating but the moment halfway through the second half where they made four changes was the football equivalent of like throwing up the white flag and I don't think I've ever really seen that before and there's no better club to have done it than Tottenham so yeah. uh, I think that's that's it for me. Ian, have you got a particular moment? Yeah, I've got, got a couple. I think that the ladies have to get a lot of credit for the, the Conti Cup win simply because we had such a hard time. Our Chelsea have really just had our number. And for us to beat, us, beat them like we did, I thought that was a great performance from them. But like, I have to go back to the, the Emmy Martinez at Villa because um, it is, like James rightly says, it's the, it's the kind of thing that happens in a game where you think, oh my God. This is, yeah. We're getting the luck and everything. It's, it's yeah. happening. And so then, you know, then you get Bournemouth and then, you, you know, Reese Nelson with that goal. And, you know, I'm, honestly, I'm not, I'm not joking. When I'm watching these games, I'm, fuck, I'm trying to play it down, man. I'm fucking <laughs> trying to play it down. We all right. agree you're doing a great job right, as well. You know. <laughs> so, so when, you know, so when Reese, when Reese scores that goal and like he said, you know, the chaos that ensued and that, was amazing and, and the reason why I'll, I'll have that, even though in the end, you know, we're thinking that, my, yes, we're doing it, we're winning games at the, at the death, you know, and that's what you have to do. You've got to keep going all the way to the end. I'll have that as my moment simply because it, I was able to continue to dream. You know, if I'm gonna be totally honest, um, the dream kind of ended for me, but I, I wouldn't let no one in the office in that know. Um, <laughs> It, when we drew with Southampton and then we had them next and then they beat us like they did, I just kind of felt that I don't know how this team's going to come back from that. that, was, that I felt it deeply. I felt it deeply that that was it. Because going into that, those, those games, I was thinking I would have taken a point off of Liverpool at Anfield because they're always going to be a problem no matter what they're doing. But I had us beating West Ham and I had us beating um, Southampton. So even when, we, even when we could have easily lost that Liverpool game, we could have still won it right at the death, you know, with that pass from, Mart from uh, Martinelli to Saka, what didn't quite get there. But it was, it was in that kind of time where it, it started to happen for me. So I started to think, you know, I'm going to have even more joy. I just didn't want us to fizzle out. I kind of think we did in the end, you know, which was the, the, the one thing that I, I, I was only disappointed with, just blast. Just go out fucking 
you know, Butch Cassidy's son, no, kid. <laughs> go out like that. Because Thelma we, and Louise. We had a great goal. Yeah, man, we had a great goal. But I'd probably put it down to, um, to Reese Nelson's. That, 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 the atmosphere and everything in there, because we're all together now and people are so jealous of our love for each other, you know? Well, uh, if we've covered a moment of the season, then we can talk about the player of the season. Uh, there are a lot of candidates for this, but there's probably one easy one, and Andrew, in the spirit of charity, since you gave me the first moment of the season, how about you give us the first player of the season? Oh, I mean, I think this is actually quite difficult because there's so many. Mm. Uh, I mean, I am going to... I'm going to make it difficult for the rest of you, uh, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Martin Odegaard for me because. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think Mikel Arteta challenges his players, uh, sometimes publicly. I'm sure he does it on the training ground as well. But there were some quotes from maybe I think it was during his loan spell. And Mikel Arteta talked about Martin Odegaard and if he can start delivering in the final third, if he can start getting into shooting positions, he can, he can score lots of goals, he can score more goals for us. And I think this season he's really, really stepped up in that regard. I think it's 15 goals in, in all competitions. So um, that with the creativity and I think the, the, the quiet leadership, um, leading by example, uh, and just some of the goals that he scored. The driller against Spurs, absolutely magic. So for me, Martin Odegaard. It's an easy choice. Um, Paul, I will give you the next option with the caveat that naming seven different players before circling one is, is not the approach here. Okay, I'm going to go with the defenders don't get enough love. I love it. And I'm going to leave some... There's some players crying out to be picked, but I'm going to make sure Gabrielle Magliash gets picked. <laughs> The guy's been a rock all season, just a rock. And what, what would our season have been like if that had been a dodgy spot, given the changes that came as things went along? Um, maybe to the eye, he doesn't look like the silkiest, smoothest, but you, you see what he produces, you see the passes, you see the stats to go with it. Um, he's a player and nobody bodies him. And him and Saliba, just an absolutely astounding combination, which we didn't have for enough of the season. But while Saliba's not around, uh, Gabriel keeps things ticking along. I think that's something you can really build around. And he's gone to really loving the club. When he first came in, he was, you know, he was that kid, and he was talking about someday Real Madrid and this kind of stuff. And like that's all died for him. He loves. He never stops going on about how. He feels this club, he loves this club. Um, it, it, you can absolutely build on this guy, and I love I mean, him. We've surrounded him with Gabriels, quite literally, yeah. so we're making him feel very at home. Portuguese speakers and Gabriels. Uh, Ian, a uh, lot of good choices. Who would you have as your absolute player of the season? <clears throat> I probably have to go with Arsenal number eight um, in Erdogan. You know, the number eights do pretty good work at Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, <laughs> It's a very lucky number, simply because um, of, of his journey. And then, you know, for us to, to get him for what, 30 million? You know, what, you don't know what he's worth now. With the pedigree he's got, you know, he just, if you could get Erdogan to, 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 to lock into where he's capable and unlock that next bit of his ability where he's wanted, he's loved, he's got the captaincy, he's at that age. 
if you can unlock that, then you know you're, you've got a very, very special player because he is. And I think that Mikel's done that. And again, you know, someone like Erdogan alongside Saka, you know, I think you know we just could not absorb the hit of William Saliba, man. What I, I swear to God, when you look at the, for a, for a first season, you know what I mean? We, you know what I mean? I was going crazy behind the scenes about when we bringing him back, when we bringing him back. The, the management of his loan spell was perfection when you looked at him coming back into our team and looking like he's been there for 10 years and you could see when he left that all of our right side had a, had a problem you know I think it really affected Thomas Party. I think to a certain extent we saw the last stage with Saka even affected Saka's numbers that is how good this guy is in respect of not his, just his defense but his carrying of the ball his passing out of defense it affected our whole team um, so he probably would have ran Martin Odegaard very, very close, even though Martin, with those goals, they're always going to take the, take the limelight. But, um, you know, Saliba probably would have ran him close, but it would be Odegaard for me as well. I've got to mention Granite. I've oh. got to mention Granite. You know, I'll give him Granite. Give him, <laughs> Love a redemption story. Everybody loves it. And he's... You know what I've been, you know what I've been like? We've, we've gone with, with Jackie, you know, he's been... He's fucking used to, I've got no hair left. The last <laughs> bit, you know. But like, um, I, I, fought, I fought his corner in many a room because people keep, there was a, I saw a, an Instagram post the other day with Granite and it was like, you know, he was like saluting or something. But the guy had a red card in the, on the picture and I just, I could, you know what I mean? I should have left it, but I didn't. And, you know, I just said to him, why the red card? He, he's not a serial, he doesn't get serial red cards. Why couldn't you just give him fucking love without the red card with the tainting of the red card because that's not what Xhaka is he is you know and people you know I mean people had to fight off about the Liverpool you know oh Xhaka got them going oh if it weren't for Xhaka Liverpool get going because they're fucking waiting to get going it doesn't mean that it's just Xhaka anything could get them going I want people like Xhaka to go to Liverpool and, and fire them up like that because then we react and then we are then a cocoon. That's what George Graham done. The, the thing is, they're not used to that kind of player, you know, doing that. So he shouldn't have got the blame because I know exactly what he's trying to do. But I don't know. In, in the end, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I'm, it's, I'm grieving. I'm still, I'm still grieving. You're working your way through the I'm entire squad. Through, yeah. as well, so. I'm, I'm really, really am. Because it's like I have to talk myself into the next positive steps of it. Because that's, because what's being a fan about, you know? Like I say, I flew too close. My wings got burnt, so. <laughs> well, on the flip side of what happened at Liverpool was the Newcastle game away, where we saw that fight. Wow. And we saw the willingness to stand yeah. up to the physicality and the challenge. It was so good because Shearer was absolutely gutted. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Honestly, I'm not joking. Honestly, and I, I, I'm not sure if I text you, but I'm like, Cheryl was all morning killing me. Ah, you wait till you get to the tune. You see what we're going to do to you. They won't be ready for it. Look what we've done to you last year. They'll shit themselves. They're not ready for that crowd and what they're going to do. And so you saw him. You saw him in the video. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was just like going like, because, you know, he frightened me. <laughs> you know? Because I started to think about Newcastle and, yeah, they are going to make noise. And we did lose there. And we had such a, it was such a, a mental kind of like, thing I was going through and then then they then they hit the post then he wanted the penalty then they didn't get the penalty and then we went there already, then we scored then we just started to just fucking toast them and like 
I'm not joking, right? I'm not joking. It was, again, a very underrated performance. Of course, they, may, they could have scored. They could have got the penalty. They could have maybe been tuning up. But the way we just carried on playing how we play, this is what I love about us. Carry on playing how we play. And if you're going to come with that, then come. But we're going to keep playing because we've got the capability of doing it. So you can imagine. You know, you can imagine in the end, Al. You know, it's just, what's brilliant about this team, they've humbled so many people this season. We've humbled them, and it's beautiful. Gary Neville. You know what I wish I could, yeah. You know what I wish I could do? I wish I could do, but I can't do it, is let the team just humble Alan Shearer. Let the team do it, because once it started to happen, I just was on him, man. I was just like texting him. I was FaceTiming him. Because he, because he had to drive all the way back to Newcastle and I said, Ow, I just, you know, because I'm home now and, you know, I know you're in the car. What, what are you watching? Watch something. Watch Succession. Take your mind off of it. And he said, he said, rightly, rightly, fuck off. Can, can I ask a, can I ask a serious question? How, how was that not your moment of the season? <laughs> it could have easily have been. You know what I've said to him as well, just quickly, I don't want to hog you. You know, I said to him, okay, you know, because they've all, because we got to that level and people say we bottled it and stuff like that, right, which, which is that close to me, fight. I, I think I could have fought. If more people said that, I, I probably could have punched somebody. I, I, you know what I mean? Because if we bottled it, we would have then went to Newcastle and we would have lost. We didn't bottle it. But like, what I said to Al is, Al, the way we started the season, everybody, we, we have, we're the only ones who are fighting Manchester City. Your, your next season, you're going to have the pressure we had this season. So we'll see how you react to teams coming to your place, sitting in, hitting you on the break, and you, your fans expecting you to win, and it's not happening. Because we know the Geordies can switch, right? So I said, we'll see how you go next season. What, the season, what we've just had this season, see if you can not bottle it then. Eddie Howe complaining about time-wasting after oh, the game in Newcastle. It was just a beautiful, beautiful bit of it's very, it's very, It's very hard to get upset with Eddie Howe. He looks like a choir boy. You know, well, we'll find a way. Yeah. Um, and, and I just want to say, I know we've been so focused on trying to win the title that I think now I hope we'll use the summer as a chance to go back and watch some of your favorite Chelsea YouTubers and Spurs <laughs> YouTubers yeah. and really enjoy the downfall that they experienced. Um, and as far as Saliba goes, I missed the song, so I can't wait till we're get, we get the chance to sing the tequila song again. Clive, who's your player of the season? Yeah, I'm a, a little bit different, this one. I, I like players that sort of surprise me, because we're all nerds, right? And so we think we know the players, and then someone does something you don't expect. And I, I have to say, Ben White is my player of the season. When he, when he, when he joined the club, he was a stick-on centre-back, and... Um, he was, a, he was a stick on centre back and you know, one that we all liked and then he switched positions and not only did he switch positions I think he made that position really really work for us and work that right hand side physically he's top he's really quick he's really aggressive when we had injuries in that area he, he managed to stay fit and the best, you know, to be available is a big thing, right? It's a big thing and he's always available people say he doesn't care about football well I'm telling you, you don't get to that level, look like he does, perform like he does, going both ways. Then when he flipped the centre back at Forest, I thought he was brilliant at Forest. And maybe that was a lesson to what could happen next year. I think potentially we may buy a right back 
and he can flip between the two positions. And when you can do that at the top level, you're a player, right? So I think maybe in hindsight, looking at our principles of play and our build-up losing Saliba, moving him, we should have maybe done it at some point. Moving him is the best way to get over Saliba not being there. But hey, it's done now, but he's my player of the season. Good choice, still a lot of good choices available. Um, James, I don't want to, I don't want to be condescending, but just to give you some options to remember what's on the table, no one has chosen uh, Richarlison or Mudrik yet, so those are both available to you if you, if you want to. Good, strong contenders, definitely. I think, look, Arsenal had a brilliant but imperfect season, and I'm, I'm going to pick a player who I think has been brilliant, imperfect, but brilliant, and who I have loved watching, and that's Zinchenko. Uh, I think that, um, I, in fact, I'll borrow from my mate Clive, who said, when I watch Zinchenko, I learn things about football. And that's how I feel. You know, players sometimes come into a club and, you know, we're so obsessed with Arsenal. We don't always see other players in the league truly for how good they really are. He walked in and I couldn't believe the ease with which he did things. You know, this technical level was just so high. And I think that, when you look at the first half of the season in particular, the way Arsenal were able to control games, he was critical to that, absolutely critical. If only he hadn't tooted that car horn. Because <laughs> as we all know, that's when the league truly slips away. But I think on the pitch, man, yeah, he's been class. Yeah, good, good choice. And when I listen to Clive talk about Zinchenko, I learn about football. So it's, it's a circle of life, Tim. Who's your player of the season? Andrew, have you done yours yet? Yeah, I did Odegaard. Okay. Yeah. I love the way we've all completely overthought this and no one's picked Saka yet. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> because I wasn't going to pick him either because I really thought someone else was going to... I was going to say Martinelli um, just because I think we totally take for granted that Martinelli is a guy who starts on the wide left for a team who challenges for the title. You're doing I, a poll right now. I, I know, I know, I know. But I wanted, I wanted to say Martinelli because my wife's watching the live stream and Paul already picked one of the Brazilian players. So, um, but I mean, obviously no one else having picked him, Bukayo Saka. And if Bukayo Saka gets PFA Player of the Year, I don't think anyone outside of, I was going to say Manchester City fans, do they exist? I, I, I don't know anyone that's met one. Um, but yeah, like no one would complain about that. And, and, and again, he's another one who's just, just look at the numbers. And we can all see when we play, we can see who the players are looking for first. And like some of the stuff he's done in the pressure moments as well. And I think about that goal against Manchester United. And that's just one of those wow moments, you know, when it's like the pressure's on, it's United and it's 1-1 and he smacks one in from 30 yards. And yeah, I... I look at him as our, like, he's going to be our, like our Mo Salah uh, type player, I think. And I think he's just going to put up those numbers season after season. So, Saka. Can we, can we mention Aaron Ramsdale, please? We... Wow. We have to. We have to. We have to mention him because what I'm totally com comfortable with is you have to have a great goalkeeper to win the league. And we've got one. Some of his saves this season have been, you know, lost. There it is, look, I don't know. My word's gone, my word's gone. Amazing. Yeah, he's, he's been brilliant. And since uh, across the table, we've managed to name every player now at some level, I will cheat and say it's Mikel Arteta. Hmm. Um, 
I think we take for granted that this was coming. Um, you know, I remember hearing a podcaster saying, I can't remember who it was, that he had doubts about Mikel Arteta being able to coach an attack, uh, whether that was something that he could add to his string to his bow. And uh, that guy, well, I would block him on Twitter for starters. Um, but I would say that what Mikel Arteta has shown us is that his eye for talent, his understanding of how to build our attack, how to create dominance in the right parts of the pitch. Um, this season, we saw the best looking Arsenal football we've seen in at least a decade, if not longer. Um, some of the DNA of the club, I think, came back in the way we played and the way we dominated the opposition. And so for a young manager who's still just a few seasons into his career, I mean, it, had he won the title, he would have been the youngest ever in his career to have won a title. Uh, we take for granted his quality now, but it wasn't so long ago we had doubts. So for me, he's proven everything he needed to prove this season and next season. I expect we'll see even more development. All right. I mean, this is a season which was uh, primarily great and fun, but it didn't end the way we wanted it to end. So, Clive, I'm going to give you the, the easy one first. Because this, this is the one where earlier you said you had millions of answers for this. So you oh, can did I? Plug, yeah. <laughs> okay. So when we think about next season, when you think about something that we need to do or something that you would like to see from this team or from the club next season, what would that be? Yeah, so um, I think... I'm a bit more of a, a pragmatist when it comes to football. And uh, there's something basic about football. It's called the contest. This guy knows about the contest. And having the ability, there's an on-the-ball game and there's an off-the-ball game. I think off-the-ball, we've got work to do. I think we, ha we need to be able to have more Newcastles away. You know, that sort of stands out. But that's the contest we need to develop. I think we've developed a principle and a way of playing attacking-wise with our five up and our five back. But we have to do more, particularly in essential areas, to make sure that we are playing maybe slightly less risky football in the key parts of the season. I definitely want to see us focus a lot more on duels and one-on-ones defensively and attacking me. And once we have that control and that feeling and presence and that presence on the pitch that people think they're here, we're in trouble, when we have that presence, we need to add that. I think this year we've added a, a play style and a way of approaching the games, the next step is to, when people look at us and say, okay, they're really coming. They're really lifting the level. And I think that's what's gonna happen over the summer. I'm absolutely convinced the management know, and that's why we're not having ones and twosies come in. This is big boy stuff now, this is it. We're gonna go for it. And the way the, if you look at the league and the competitive landscape, what's happening in the league with ownership issues, what's happening at Manchester United, can they sign players appropriately, what's happening at Spurs, what's happening at Chelsea. There's a moment here for us and we need to grab it to go up. This is not the time to save your pennies, this is the time to say no, we're here and we're going big and we're going to really compete with the top team. We all want to see us take over. So that's my thoughts for the next season. Tim, what have you got? Yeah, for me, I'd like to see the atmosphere amongst the crowd and the fans stay the same um, because I just think the last couple of years have been a real pleasure and you felt that in the Emirates. I think for the first ever time in the Emirates, we've had that, like when we go 1-0 down and it feels like a million years ago that Saliba made that mistake. Was it against Leicester? Yeah. And, or or full, I can't remember which game, but like... Leicester, I think. Yeah, 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 and everyone chanted his name and just having that feeling and, and obviously because Arsenal have been improving, 
like expectations going to change now and that's completely right but like I just really hope we still have this kind of this real sense of backing the team and that that doesn't kind of die away when the expectation gets a bit higher and you know because we came into the season not thinking we'd be in the title race so maybe next season we're expecting that and it might not happen but I just really hope like the support stays as it has been. Paul what have you got? Uh, well, I'll piggyback on that one. I have a suggestion for how we keep the, that energy, that connection with the fans. It's a technical one. We don't really have a great song at the end of a game when we, we win a game. I, I was on a, a flight over here and I uh, heard this song and uh, I thought it was the funniest thing I ever thought when I had this thought. I think we should play that song by Divinals, I Touch Myself. <laughs> I don't know. How did you see funny. that going in your head when you were? How did you see that going? A little differently? Uh, I owe that joke an airing because I laughed so much on the plane. I, I had my pretzels. I had snot coming down my lip. I'm sure your seatmate appreciated that. <laughs> okay, so what do I think we need to do? Um, I think we got, apart from playing, I touch myself at the end of matches when we win. Um, we need a squad. We need a squad we trust. Uh, we we got to get to 17 or so players. Um, I'm amazed how much work we have to do in the summer when you think that you go into the summer thinking, oh, that felt good. Uh, we got most things right. We just need to add a few. And you start doing the math, we probably need to add five or so trusted players to get to that magic 17, 18 number that Man City used, we're going to be in the Champions League, we're going to take it very seriously, you can't not do that. Um, and I'm just amazed how much work we might have to do, but, you know, we know who are trusted players, There's in, and those are outfield players, that's not the goalkeeper who we trust. Um, so we got like, what do we have? 11, 12 with Trossard, maybe, maybe you can add in Kivior, that's 13, but then you subtract Xhaka, Maybe party goes to Italy, that's the rumor, du jour, who knows. So you got a huge amount of work. Remember when we used to care about net spend and we get out calculators, Arsene Wenger days? I don't know what happened, but we don't really think like that anymore. It's like, what do we need? The Cronkies will, Josh will get Stan's credit card while he's asleep by the swimming pool having margaritas. <laughs> we, we buy players. But even if you have the funds, getting players that come in and contribute, and you can trust, and the manager trusts. Tough old job. Yep. Yep. All right, James, follow that one. <laughs> I touch uh, myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be mine. Um, I think that the disappointment of not winning the title and, and the focus on the title race did slightly cloud uh, the fact that we have qualified again for the Champions League. And when you think back, for many years, like we pined for that, we were desperate for it. And I think we maybe underestimate quite how important it is to the club. Think how many players that move on the market say they want to be playing for a Champions League club. You know, I think it makes you a much more attractive place to be. So in terms of what I'd like to see next season, I think Arteta's been brilliant, but if there is a mark against him, it's probably his record in Europe. You know, he's had some fairly ignominious Europa League exits. Um, 
there were extenuating circumstances around some of those, and maybe the focus hasn't been quite what it might be in that competition. But with the Champions League, that can't and won't be the case. And I think Mikel will go into it knowing that this is where the coaches really show their mettle. You know, he's going to be up against the best teams in Europe. So in terms of my hope for next season, I hope we can really make a fist of the Champions League and certainly get out of that group stage, hopefully push on and, and get a bit deeper because this season was brilliant, but the cup competitions really fell by the wayside. And if you want to be a big club, you've got to be competing on all fronts. Uh, Ian, what are you thinking about next season? What's your, your big hope? Um, I, I think that, um, you know, we've done so well this season. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to go back to not being in and around the top four. You know, getting, maybe we've, we've got here too early in respects of the way we've blasted in and we, we you know, challenging City and finished second. But I don't want to be outside that no more. So I'm thinking and looking at Mikel and Edu and the, the, everything's about winning now. Everything's about winning, bringing in players who want to win, their attitudes about winning. I think that we should get, get, get ready for maybe some ruthless colds. I don't mind seeing that because we love the players, they're great, but I think that Mikel was, was quite hurt with the way it finished, in, you know, with the way, the way it kind of faded out with certain things. He was met of disappointed he was, you know, especially against Brighton, I felt for him, felt for the players as well, because I just didn't, I believe that they've just spent, and you could see the way they were haunched over and after that game, but I think that now um, we, we've got to go ruthless to stay where we are. And we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to go for that player because we've got everything to entice that player. And if it means we have to lose certain players that we love, um, who've been great servants, that, then, then that, so be that, so be it. You know, simply because this journey's good and it's taken us quite a while to get back to where we're at the top table. And I, I don't want to not be in and around the top table. I want him to get those players and I want him to move players. What he doesn't feel right, so is where we're stripped clean of any fat. Let's just go for it, man. You know. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Elliot, let's give us yours, and then we're going to uh, try and bring part one to a little bit of an end now in a minute, but we will get your thoughts on next season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the obvious one that's been mentioned a few times is squad utilization, just growing the squad to be able to sustain challenges on multiple fronts. Most of us are willing to be, think about the Europa League as disposable but I don't think people want to feel that way about the Champions League, and so there will be a demand that we are able to compete on multiple fronts. The thing that I'll say, though, that since that's been covered is just this, and Mikel said this in his recent comments ahead of the Wolves game, we're going to have to be able to beat Manchester City head-to-head. -head. If we want to be champions, we're going to have to beat them at least once. You know, if we had beaten City in both the games we played this season, we'd be champions right now. And, and that's it. That's the difference. You can't go head-to-head -head with, with another club for the title, lose to them twice, and expect to be champions. So I think the next step is Mikel is going to have to do what feels at the moment maybe a little bit impossible, just ask Real Madrid. They were embarrassed as well, but we are going to have to find a way to take points off City. And if we do that, then the task of being champions will be much easier. So that's the step we have to take, I think. I mean, the only <laughs> other thing I'd add is maybe, maybe just something a little different up front, something to give us a little... Uh, alternative. I wanted to ask you about that, Ian, though, because this is a team that has spread goals around in yeah. a really impressive way. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, is something you need to, 
to maintain, right? You want to make sure that the guys who are getting you 10, 12, 15 goals every season can do that. Yeah. Um, the balance then, trying to find the balance between that and maybe having a different profile of striker up front, is that, is that a challenge? I think it is. Um, there's been m many games I've watched where, you know, we've, we've broke, we've broke very well, we've linked play very well, and then we haven't got anyone arriving in the box. We haven't got anybody who's natural, naturally drawn into the areas where you get those goals, what that, the number nine get. Sorry, awesome. awesome. Well, say it, say it. <laughs> say it loud. Hey. What about him? <laughs> no. no. You know what? If, if, we, if, if we can get that kind of player, then we should try and go for that player. I think we should go for that player because I think that in certain games, you know, especially if we're defending well, when we've got other defenders back, we're defending well, sometimes you need a focal point. You need somebody who's going to take the half chance. You know, then he might get another one, bam, we win the game 2-0 because he's just in the area. How many times do we see the ball going across there and, um, and Jesus is outside the box or he's, he's, he's not arriving? And for me, if that's how we're playing, then as soon as Jesus is not in there, then whoever is the they've got to get in there. Now, that person getting in there is not a natural striker. So I believe we need another striker because even I, I think I was listening on, on, the, on the Ask blog the other day about Jesus for his last season for City, how brilliant he was on the wings. Maybe, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, we get that number nine and then you've got like competition for Saka. Him and Saka can have competition on that side because you want everybody playing to their very, very limit. But a number nine to help link the play sometimes, a proper, like a top one, even like you say, Osman, perfect. I'd love to see that because I'm, I'm really frustrated watching him out of times there's no one in our box. Can, can I ask you a quick question about that, Ian? Just sure. because when you look at what Lacazette's done in league on this season, right? Um, pushing Mbappe for the golden boot there, I think 25 goals. Is there any concern that maybe there is something about the system and the way we play that's asking our center forward to maybe play a role that's so connected to the midfield that arriving in the box becomes a challenge for them, that there's, maybe there needs to be a shift. Because you look at what Pep has done with Holland, and it, there were a lot of people that said early in the season, oh, he makes them worse. They don't know how to play with Holland. But it is a, a transformation for them in the way they attack. So do you think there's a system component to that? Haaland, Haaland is a very direct, low-touch yeah. striker who stays up, like, occupying two defenders. And what we saw, even with their goal against us with De Bruyne, you know, what we saw, we, were, we went for them. We went to close them down. Bam, long ball up to him. Bam, turn into De Bruyne goal. We can do that with the right striker. So like the prof, obviously Jesus plays how he plays. We know how he played. And maybe when he started, he scored so many goals, we're thinking, oh, maybe he's gonna change when he comes here. He may stay more focal, but that's not his natural game. So I think that he still gives us so much with the way he works and what he does. But that striker, so we can have uh, um, another plan. The plan B. So if, if it's good enough for Man City to hoik it up to Haaland and then we've got runners off of him, we've got pace players, Saka and Marti, Martinelli and everybody, we can play like that. I think that we should be targeting somebody. We should be targeting somebody of calibre because we, everybody that comes in now has to be bringing something. Has to be bringing something. Clive, you had a thought? Oh, Ian sort of covered it really. It's, it's very simple with football. He, when you're playing against teams that press you, you can play through them, you can play around them, 
but we haven't got the ability to go over that press at the moment and consistently. And so if you're thinking, you're looking at your golf bag, you're thinking, I haven't got that club, so I need to get that club. I need to get it. So if it's a tall winger or somebody can hold the ball in the first phase, so we can go over pressure and people will step back. We haven't got that. We're relying on 21-year-old machines who are brilliant, but we can't ask them to be post-up centre-fours as wingers as well, you know, and be our most creative and, and score the most goals. So I think we need the ability to go over the press, and we haven't got that club in our bag, so we should add it, in my opinion. So. All right, like the golf analogy as well, very good. Um, okay, part two of the show is gonna be Q&A. So in order to send your questions, we have a Twitter account. You guys can send them here as well, or people watching on the stream can send them to at Live. At Vision Live, we're going to do questions and more in part two. There's going to be an intermission. You guys can go and get a drink in the bar. Uh, it'll be about 30 minutes. We'll come back for part two right after that. For now, though, can we please give Mr. Ian Wright another round of applause? Thank you so much. And we'll see you after the break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello again. Uh, we're missing a couple. That would be, that'd be good, Clive. Elliot, that'd be good. Yeah, Ian's gone, so you can probably all go home, <laughs> to be honest. I did say the first 75%. <laughs> Can't say you weren't warned, in fairness. Shall we? Sure. All right. Let's oh. do this! <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get to your questions at Ars Vision Live, and I would recommend you clear your search history if you've searched for that in your Twitter browser. Um, as you probably know, uh, Andrew and James and everyone up here worked with the Arsenal Foundation this season to raise money uh, for Coaching for Life programs.
And what you, and I mean probably everybody in this room did, is beyond anybody's expectations. And the impact you will make on the lives of young people in the Zattery refugee camp is beyond what I can describe on this stage right now. But suffice it to say that the appreciation we feel, that the club feels, that those young people feel, and the pride that you should feel in what you were able to achieve as a community is extraordinary. And so we thank you for that. I do just want to quickly uh, recognize the director of the Arsenal Foundation, Raid King. I want to recognize the project lead for the Coaching for Life program, uh, Drew Taylor, and Freddie Hudson, who is the director of Arsenal and the community Stand here out. in North London. Wonderful Arsenal people who we are very lucky to have here tonight. Love you guys. It is easy to forget that Arsenal isn't just about the players who pull on the shirt and stand on the pitch. It's about good people that work here in North London and around the world to spread the meaning of the badge to people in all parts of the world and to help make our communities a better place. And they definitely embody that principle. So thank you to them. Thank you to you. And now I will uh, shut up and we get back with the football. Yeah. All right. So this is part two where we do questions that you guys uh, have sent into us um, in a different format than we're used to, perhaps. But Elliot is going to He's going to be our question master this evening. Quiz master? Question master? Quiz master? Captain question. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'll start with you, Andrew. This is a sort of broad one, but it comes from a loose cannons journal. And uh, this person asked at Ars Vision Live, what is the biggest what if moment of this season? Ooh. I like that one. It's a good question, apparently. Um, maybe, the, maybe the Brentford goal that shouldn't have been a goal but you're looking at me like i'm getting this wrong yeah no it's just how can you expect them to draw the lines who, who, who knew to draw the lines they're they're listen it's complicated geometry a line is a you know how can you tell where it begins and ends you know um i, I guess that and maybe the the Look, I love Bakayo Saka, but the, the penalty against West Ham, maybe that was a moment where things, I don't know if it was the one thing, but maybe it could have gone on a bit longer if he had scored that penalty and it had gone to, uh, it had gone to 3-1. So those are the ones that, that occur to me. Anybody else want to offer one there before we move on? What if moments? Yeah, if Tim? Saliba's spine was made of <laughs> aluminium, maybe? That... Just a what if, just throwing it out there for the Arsenal medical staff. I, I think the Saka penalty is the one I try to think about least, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like it's kind of the saddest one. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a few, but. The Ramsdale pass yeah. out versus Southampton, that's the one. Because you, you, you start, I have, to, <laughs> I have to call it, right? It's going to a very dark place. Yeah, well. That's enough. Oh, we, all, we all love the team, but you're, you're playing the bottom team in the league at home. You've got to deal with them, and that's it. And we didn't. And, um, that's the moment that sticks with me the most. Yeah, I think um, I, I want to just reference this, and you don't need to answer it, Paul, but there is someone who has quite intently, uh, both in the mentions and in the direct messages, asked if Paul is single. So... Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, asked if Paul is touching himself. <laughs> Those things because go hand in been, hand. So this is, this is why we have this at the front here, you see. We got to give props to the sound guy for switching yes. onto that so quick. Yeah, yeah, Gabriel, good it job. It does remind me, remember last year with the Louis Johnford thing, and you, there was a moment where you knew it was happening. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was the moment I know that song's now happening. Next question comes from <laughs> Vuk Valetic. 
question. How about for you, Clive? Zinchenko is a unique player, but that seems to make a problem when he is absent, as we cannot play the same way. Should we have an alternative way of building from the midfield when he's not playing, and what that might be? Uh, yeah, but I think <laughs> we should... <laughs> sometimes we... This time last year, we were talking about, I wonder if Saliba's going to be in the squad. Mm. You know what I mean? And next minute we signed Zinchenko, and we all now inverted fullback experts. Do you know what I mean? And I think I think sometimes you've got to leave room in your head for playing styles to evolve. And that's one way of doing things. And everyone thinks this season's gonna overlay on next season and we're just gonna literally cut and paste it. I, I don't think we are. I think we'll evolve again. I think we're gonna evolve again and maybe his role will be different. Maybe we might have a different shape and we should all be open minded to it. Because you know, I think football is a, a constant evolution, right? And that's the bits I don't know are the, are the best bits, right? And, and it should be the same for all of us. So, so this time next year, Cedric up front will be talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got to extend his contract on the back of a 35-goal season. No, taking taking that on a bit further. The reason why we missed Zinchenko and build-up. Because maybe some of other people are not good enough on build-up. Let's get more people good enough at build-up so we don't have that same reliance. When you have someone that good, you have a single point of failure, the first thing you do as a manager is, I need to reduce that. I need to reduce that by adding more people that can do that job. That's what I think he's going to do going forward. Yeah, um, we got a lot of questions about signings and we'll, we'll certainly come to transfers because it's the real football, obviously. Um, but this one comes from James Wright and James asks, uh, Andrew, are there any players currently on loan who you can see playing a part next year? And if not, why not? God, um... <laughs> or if so, why also is also an option there. Who's on loan? Um, a lot of Flo Balogun questions. That is the one name that springs to mind, I suppose. Famous uh, American striker, Flo Balogun. He is. <laughs> <laughs> He's the most American striker we've had, so... Um, <laughs> I mean, he's the one that springs to mind because he's had an amazing season. On loan, he's done everything that you could want him to do. Score a lot of goals, raise his transfer value, demonstrate that he is, you know, capable of producing for a team. Uh, I, I don't know what the percentage of the goals he scored uh, for that team are, uh, but it's probably around 60% of their, their goals in Liga, which is a lot. But you said it earlier, Lacazette scored 25 goals mm. in that league. And I think you probably have to try politely to put all of that in, in the context of... So you're saying bring Lacazette back from being on loan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have any answer to that, Paul. Um, beyond that, I don't know. Um, Pepe? What? Brooke Norton Cuffey. Maybe, but I guess it'll depend on how Mikel Arteta views, you know, what he wants from his defense and what he wants from his right back. Had another good season. I think maybe the best thing that could happen with some of the loans that we've had is that players who didn't have a great deal of transfer value might bring in more money in than we thought initially. Um, but it's hard really to see anyone stepping up and making that breakthrough. Mikel made a comment that I think is uh, really insightful, seems to know the game pretty well, and uh, he pointed to the fact that the margins now are going to get very fine. I think trying to go from eighth to fifth and fourth is easy. There are clear problems to solve, there are clear talent gaps to close. Trying to get 
to those mid-90 point levels you need to get ahead of city, that's exceedingly difficult and, and may never happen. And the margins are so fine. And so we may need to abandon the idea that every talented academy player has a role to play in the team or every lone player can come back and have a role because we now have to think like a, a squad that needs to get to the 93, 94, 95 point level. And I think that the talent required to do that may mean that we have to rethink who can play a role and who can, especially with the absence of Europa League football, which thank God that's gone. Um, so, well, let's do this one. Um, James, Claire asks, would we have won the league if Saliba had stayed fit? And uh, interestingly, uh, Claire says she asked a similar question about Santi Cazorla in a previous Arscast live event back in 2016. I definitely see the parallels there. Do you think Saliba staying fit would have put us over the top? It's hard to know, isn't it? Because when you look at City's results, they've been so extraordinarily relentless that I almost feel any sort of iteration of what we might have done might have been surpassed by them. Um, which in a weird way makes me feel better. Uh, I, I'm gonna say no. I'm going to say no, we wouldn't have done it. I just think we've seen enough fallibility in the last nine games or so that makes me think it was sort of a question of when, not if, mm. that was exposed. I think Saliba, like, his absence is a huge part of that, don't get me wrong. But looking at City and looking at us, I think in, in most versions of that run-in, I still see them coming out on top. And as you mentioned in part one, ultimately, if they take six points of off their most immediate rival, it's always going to require something pretty remarkable for you to go on and do it. Yeah, Clive? Uh, I'd like to have seen Sleeber play at City away, just to see the gap. Because when we lost there, was it 3-4-1? Um, I was comfortable after that moment. I don't want to win if we're not the best team, and we're not the best team. That's hard to take. But to see our best team versus their best team, to know exactly where we are, I think that's the regret I have. I've got no problem losing to them, but I just don't think we were able to show who we were. I mean, Shaka was, was sick as well. He was, you know, we had Rob Holding playing. That affected Thomas Party, as Ian said, which is nice to hear. Um, I think there were parts of the team that was broken. And I think it's a shame we couldn't quite see the best of ourselves versus the best of them. That's the only issue, really. Yeah, and I think it influenced the analysis of the team, but to the point that had we reversed every result other than the city result, we still likely are not champions. And so that, that's the gap that has to be closed. Tim, this one's for you. This comes from Wathew, um, if that is your real name, Wathew. Wathew uh, asks, Arsenal have been at the forefront of the women's game for a number of years. How do you guys think we can stay ahead of the growing competition in the WSL now? Yeah, that's a really difficult one. I mean, not having four players rupture their ACLs would... would <laughs> Would have been quite helpful this year. Um, I think that was 66% of our league goals um, on a stretcher with uh, last season, that is, with Beth Mead and Vivian Miedema. And then having rebuilt the attack after that, they lose Leah Williamson. And, and you know, um, the game today, you could just tell that those players just need to be on holiday, um, both physically and mentally. But, I mean, so, so there's that. And there's also, like, the manager himself has said this is a very big transfer window for Arsenal. They didn't get what they wanted in the last two windows. So I think recruitment, a bit like the men's team, is a very, very key part of that. But something Jonas said today as well was about 
managing, he called it gamecraft, those kind of games where, you know, you're playing on a dodgy pitch, you've had Champions League on Wednesday night, the referee's rubbish, which is every game in the WSL. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just, just kind of doing, unfortunately, what Chelsea do, which is quite often when you watch Chelsea, they're a bit rubbish, but they win 1-0 or they win 2-0 and they just win. And that, that's where they need to go. But in terms of, like, the backing from the club, I really don't doubt that. And I, I know they've got some kind of big, exciting targets for the summer. It's just about getting them. Are you saying you're ITK? <laughs> I'd never say that. No. Okay, fair enough. I think we could each go through and, and give this one because it's so many people ask the question. Rob Grice asked it uh, most directly, but there were a lot of questions about this. So, Andrew, if you want to start, Declan Rice or Moises Caicedo, if you had to pick one? Oh. I mean, why not both? Um... I can give you about 100 million reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But as Paul said, Josh is stealing Stan's credit card yeah, he while he's did. having his afternoon snooze. Um, if I had to, that is so tough because Caicedo's, Caicedo's brilliant. Um, I just, I think maybe when it comes to a couple of the players who might be departing this summer, somebody like Declan Rice would be a really good fit for not just the team, but also the dressing room. So, being put on the spot in this way by a man drinking a Cronenberg 1664 on stage, uh, I think I would go. I think I would go Declan Rice. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Gunnar Gwigs asked, "Why is Elliot the only one drinking?" I think it's a fantastic question, and I don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> I don't know either. I forgot to swap out for water on the way in. I don't, I don't know what happened there. Um, uh, Paul, what about you, Rice Caicedo? And actually, I'll, I'll let you answer maybe Carl Armstrong's question, which is if we were to sign Rice and Caicedo, it's a more optimistic approach, who plays the six and who plays the eight? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I thought so. Uh, Rice would be my pick between the two of them. If you think the problem is that uh, we know how to play 80% of the season, it's that we need to have that kind of uh, gritty... Uh, determination, the ability to shield our defense on a bad day, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it just reeks of Declan Rice to me. I think Caicedo's a real baller. Uh, but we're pretty good at attacking and scoring goals and all that kind of stuff, so it's close. But Declan Rice is like a foundation, he's a keystone, a foundational piece. And I think the mentality the physicality, his ability to cover the ground. So a rise for me. Um, I just naturally see him a little deeper than Caicedo. That's my picture of them. He, Caicedo's more of a bowler, so he'd be the six and Caicedo would be the eight for me. I, I know Clive disagrees with you, but I'll, I'll go to James first because he's, he's asked me to go to him. I, I had a, a really tricky question for you as well, James, but we can come back to it. Oh, I look forward to that. Um, I, I, I think of the two, if you had to pick this summer, for me it should be Rice. And there are, t there are two reasons I feel that. One is that it looks to me like Granit Xhaka is going to be leaving Arsenal. And I just think, whatever you may think of him as a player, as a personality in that dressing room, he carries a lot of influence. And if you look at Rice at West Ham, he's their captain, he is their leader, he is the heartbeat of that club. To import that into Arsenal... I think would really help offset what we are losing potentially. And, and the second reason is just that 
The reason I like it is that it feels like a very, it feels like an old sort of Man U signing. You know that period where Man yeah. U just used to go and buy the best player in the league in like his a, position? Like a Dutch striker, like just for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, but they would go and pick, like if Michael Carrick Sorry. was tearing it up at Spurs, they'd be like, right, we're going to have him, you know. Mm -hmm. Or Louis Saha was the top goal scorer, they were like, right, we'll have him. And Declan Rice, in the last three months, has been one of the absolute outstanding central midfield players in Europe. And I think for Arsenal to go and take him off another London club, you know, especially when he's been linked historically with Chelsea, with United, with other big teams, I think it would be a big statement as well. So in terms of kind of re-establishing us and our size and what we can do, I really, really like it as a, as a possibility. It'd be great to have another Irishman in the team again as well. Yeah, great for you. We may have our American, so you know, Flo Balligan. Clive, you want to correct Paul on, on no, what he got wrong in the six versus eight I thing think, there? I think the answer is obvious. I think it's, it's Rice, because I, I think I know who he is, and uh, we had a good chance to look at him. I actually think he's underrated and underdeveloped. He's never really played for a positional manager who plays positional play. I don't think he's been coached properly, either for England or for West Ham. And if he comes to Arsenal, I think he will go massively upward. I think he, I genuinely think he's underrated. You know, everyone looks at Bellingham because he's quite spectacular. I think I think Rice is better. You know, um, I think he's, I think he's better. Um, I think he's I think he's more malleable. I think he. In your team, you need, you're you need, a Bellingham man, right? I mean, yeah, I, lo I love Bellingham. Yeah. But if anyone other than Clive said that, there'd be riots in here. <laughs> well, but because it's Clive, you're all like, what? <laughs> well, I guess that must be true. <laughs> Turns out, anything said in a rich baritone has the uh, I think, truth. I think he's better. The reason why I think he's better is in. in He's one of those players that does one and a half jobs, and we need one of those in the middle of our pitch. I think Bellingham does the spectacular exclamation point stuff that you can't miss in the highlights, but this guy holds the team together, and that is exactly what we need. That's the reason why our goals against is not what it should be. Our goals for is fine. Our goals against is what we need to stop, and this guy can read the play, intercept, carry, challenge teams with the ball, Mate, they're both brilliant, but he's the one for me at 24. Okay, uh, Tim, do you want to answer this one or you, you want to move on? I mean, I, I'd just say, um, I mean, I think Rice, the amount of minutes he plays every season as well, like he mm -hmm. does, backs up games every, every single year. And clearly in the number six position, we have a good player, but we have someone who can't do that. But also just to kind of steal some of Clive's wisdom from our WhatsApps, I don't think we have to think like, oh, who does what Thomas Party does and who does yeah. what Xhaka does? When we bought Thomas Party, no one thought, oh, he's going to, yeah, he's going to sit at the base of the midfield and Granite Xhaka's going to like wander off into the penalty area. Like, no one thought that that would happen. And so, you know, to your point in the first half as well about having like that open mind, like, I don't think it's as quite as simple as... Rice will do what Party does, Caicedo will do what Xhaka does. Like if they, if either one of those came into the team, they'd put their own spin on it. Yeah, yeah. Good, good point. Uh, Tim, I'll stay with you. Uh, Louis Dransfield asks, a complex question with a one word answer. What do you think of Tottenham? <laughs> <clears throat> I think that's one we should let the audience answer. <laughs> what do you think of shit? 
Thank you. <laughs> all right. All right, all right. <laughs> Should have known that was coming. Um, well, we are the top haters. Okay, well, then this one will really get you going, James. How about this? This is from Josh L., and I have a very strong reaction to this, but I've actually heard this question asked more than one time. Um, it would relate to a famous transfer we uh, managed to pull off once upon a time. Would you take Harry Kane if made available? And not just for the boiled piss. <laughs> there's, there's no winning this one. <laughs> no, I, I think actually... Oh, same okay, okay, okay. I would. Because, it, because... Listen, I've got mates who are Spurs fans. They adore that man. <laughs> if you think... Sol Campbell going to Arsenal was upsetting. <laughs> Harry Kane returning to his boyhood club. <laughs> it would be unbelievably funny. And if he were to then win something, oh man, they would never, ever, ever live it down. So for me, you say yes. <laughs> Can I just say there's a whole Greek myth around this, Helen of Troy. Mm. The other side steals Helen of Troy, yeah. Harry Kane. Mm. Wars are fought. James is right. Okay. All right. Thank you for clarifying that for us. <laughs> How about this? Just a little light, fun one to shift the mood. North Bank Goom 1 asks, what has been your favorite song chant of the season? Andrew, you got a new song or chant that's stuck with you this season? Uh, as a sucker for 80s tunes, I've got to go with the Zinchenko. Bit of Spandau Ballet with the Arsenal connection there, so that's, that's been quite a good one. Tim, you've had the chance to lustily sing out a few uh, over the course of the season. Is there one that you particularly enjoy? You're asking me like I remember when, <laughs> when this happens. In the, I mean, look, let's just say the Saliba song, right? Um, mm. Particularly when that went up at Bournemouth and, and then he scored. And uh, I just remember, like, looking on Twitter afterwards, you know, sorry, I'm going to do a Simpsons bit, but, like, um... Hey! Hey! We, we had 30 we minutes. Did. It came later than we thought. We lost the speech It came in the second half, but you know the, you know the kind of, um, when uh, the, the little clown they give nickels to and he dances, and they go, oh, not a quarter, he'll be dancing for hours. And it was the same when Saliba scored. I saw someone tweet, like, oh, not Saliba scoring, he'll be singing that for hours. And we did, and it was fantastic. That is, that is a good one. Um, all right, let's see. Elliot, you didn't ask me. Oh, yeah, what's your favorite song? There, is one it, that is that it I Touch on. Myself and Why? <laughs> There's one that caught on right at the end of the season before the Wolves game. It's called, I Touch Myself. Yeah, there it is. I blew it for you. I'm sorry. I blew the re reveal. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? <laughs> how, about, how about this, Clive? Um, JB at Gunner Punter asks, and, and I know this may not ap apply to you, actually. I'm not sure that, yeah, well, I'm going to ask you, but I don't think it applies to you. Because he says, which opinion that you had a year ago have you been the most wrong about? But... I'm not sure that you've been wrong in the past, but if you had to identify an opinion you've been wrong about, what, what, what oh, have you been loads, wrong about? What's I, Elliot been most wrong about? That yeah. you've had to listen to? <laughs> well, we, we did a Declan Rice scouting video. I've still got the um, uh. about. 
I wasn't happy about that. Um, close control is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I was, like I said earlier on, a year ago, I was worried about Saliba. I wasn't sure he was going to make it into this club. And I thought, maybe we're just not going to sign him, we're going to sell him. And it was wrong, right? He came in and changed all our lives. <laughs> and so uh, that's the thing that surprised me the most, actually. Yeah. I actually think this is a good one. Let's, let's each do this, because I think it's always good to look back and be honest about the opinions you had that were changed and updated over the season. So, Andrew, anything you were wrong about? I, I, I think loads, but I think the, the move of Granit Xhaka into that left eight position, coupled with the challenge of Mikel Arteta saying, we need you to score more goals or, you know, I'll go and get someone else who does. I didn't really think he was going to be able to do it to, to the extent to which he did it this season. And, uh, you know... I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think he probably could have scored a few more as well along the way. So, so that uh, you know is one of those things where you're a little bit surprised by what a player has produced over the season. So yeah, that one. Paul, um, I was really struggling there for a moment to think of anything I might have gotten wrong. But would you like me to yeah, list yeah, them yeah. off for you? <laughs> I'll, I'll go with. Let Eddie. me open my notes app. <laughs> I'll go with Eddie and Kadia. Um, I had higher hopes for how that, like, I, he was very good for a few games. I don't know if he was carrying an injury, et cetera, et cetera. I thought it would be clearer that he would be a go-forward contributor, our second-line strike. I thought we would see more, and that tailed off a little bit pretty quickly. And so I, I, I hung a lot out on that one, I think, along the way. Yeah. But, but I had a lot I got right, like... Martin Odegaard for captain when Sad nobody saw. Sadly, we're running low on time. James, did you have anything you got, <laughs> you got wrong at any point? Right, yes, definitely. I, um, maybe the same as Clive. Like a year ago, if you'd told me Saliba would stay uh, and be the mainstay of the Arsenal team under Mikel Arteta, I would not have believed you. And I think because of that, until you know, he signed that contract and the ink is dry, I will always have that sort of anxiety in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I also thought Mikhail Mudrik was going to be good. Um, How's that turned out? Yeah, not the best. Elliot, you, you have to... You're asking the questions, but I think this is one that you should probably have a, a little go at. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. To really? Um, I th <laughs> There's so many people willing to offer what I've been wrong about. And I just want to say thank you for the contribution. <laughs> Um, the Ars Vision live Twitter account is not going to look. I'll just read them off one at a time. I, I already referenced it, so I don't want to be uh, redundant, he says, uh, on brand. But like the, just the fact that I had questions about Mikel Arteta with the attack, I think it, it was clear that he had an approach to football that was very precise and very thoughtful and detail-oriented, but we didn't really see this sort of unbridled, joyous football in previous seasons. And I think... Whatever concerns we have about the defending, and I understand why we'd have them the way the season ended, you look at the teams that win the title and they, they're free-scoring teams. You have to be free-scoring to win the title. And to do what we did from a goal-scoring standpoint, you know, even when we weren't playing well, two against West Ham, two at Anfield, three against Southampton, four against Chelsea, two against Newcastle, right? Um, to do that with such a young team and a, a group of players that I think there were real questions about whether there were enough goals in the team. I think um, he's, he's really proven me wrong in terms of the attacking side of the game. So that's been a wonderful thing to see. Tim, you got anything wrong this season? Oh, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, uh, same. 
No, um, I can't I, remember. I got the wrong Simpsons reference for a particular situation. <laughs> that has never happened. That, <laughs> that would never happen. Um, I, I think it was about February or March. I might have uttered the infamous words on the podcast. Like, everyone just assumes that Man City are going to go on a long unbeaten run. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Why, why would just, they do that? Just, just because that's always happened in the past. It doesn't mean it's going to happen now. And uh, how many wins in a row did they put together? Did anyone, did anyone like keep counting at some 15, point? 15, 19, so, something. Yeah, I, I thought 40. Man City would stay like relatively bad by their standards. So sorry about that one. So we got a lot of questions about this and I don't have a particular question to read off because um, I haven't saved one. So I apologize to the many people that asked it. But essentially, and James, I'll start with you. A lot of people asking about Emil Smith-Rowe and the role or lack of role really in the team this season and what that portends for the future. And I'm just curious how you sort of analyze where he's been this season and where he may be uh, next season. Yeah, it's interesting. We were gonna do, we ran short on time, but in part one, we were gonna have a category which is your surprise of the season. Mm. And my surprise was gonna be Emil Smith-Rowe's relative lack of involvement in the second half. Just to keep it upbeat. Huh? Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, I fear for his Arsenal future, I have to be honest. I think you look at the selections, you look at how few minutes he's had, uh, it looks to me to be headed in a certain direction. And obviously there are other factors there, you know, do you get a bid, is it the right size of bid? All these things, but I, I, I do fear for him somewhat. And in terms of how and why, I've said this before, but I do wonder to what extent he's kind of suffered by comparison with the likes of Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka, who he's burst onto the same with at similar time, but who are just making such consistent impact in the first team. They're very available, for one thing. And I think psychologically, they have a sort of maturity about how they approach the, the game, the profession, the tactical side, the discipline. And this is a guess from me, but I just, I wonder if Emil Smith-Rowe slightly struggled to meet that bar in Mikel Arteta's eyes. It feels that way. So with a heavy heart, and we spoke about chance. I mean, the chant that features his name is everybody's favorite, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a very good chance he'll, he'll go this summer. Andrew, we, we've seen this with Mikel Arteta a little bit, right? Where there are players that seem not to be in his plan at times. And sometimes we've drawn wrong conclusions. I think some people drew wrong conclusions from the Martinelli absence following his knee injury. And there's some question of whether there's an injury-related component to this. But then you see some of the players that he may be willing to give more of a chance. Uh, Fabio Vieira may be an example of that. When you look at some of the players that maybe have been given chances in a way that Smith Rowe hasn't, is that something that maybe leads you to feel a little dismayed that he hasn't seen more of those options? I mean, we all love our academy players, and he's one who was, was he our second leading scorer last season? Or, or, or I, I believe so. We've seen him be able to deliver for us. Are you surprised that he didn't get the chance this season? Yeah, a bit surprised. I think, you know, when you think about that Martinelli situation, the comparisons that people draw, you know, he'd had an injury, uh, he was being eased back in, but when you listen to what Mikel Arteta said about him all the time, it was always really positive about how, you know, he needs to be ready, but when he's ready, he's got the talent, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that came to pass. I think the managers, when he talks about Emile Smith-Rowe, there's a sense that he's kind of laying down a bit of a gauntlet to him mm. that you would imagine has been laid down privately first, and then it's happen happening publicly. And like... 
I don't know what's going on or what's happened. I just feel the language with which he talks about Emile Smith-Rowe is different from, from Martinelli. As for not being given chances, there was a, a press conference a couple of weeks ago where he talked about having to get more out of players who didn't play, who didn't get minutes, yeah. and I thought, you know, that's the door open. That's the door open for Fabio Vieira. It's the door open for Emil Smith-Rowe that you're going to have to... You can't do it all in the transfer market this summer. You've got to develop some of the players that you have to, to contribute more. And I thought, yeah, that's him opening the door for Smith-Rowe. And then we played Nottingham Forest and he didn't get on the pitch for even 10, 15 minutes at the end when we were 1-0 down and playing poorly and he had substitutes to use and he didn't use them. And I think you, you draw conclusions from that. I would share James's concern that, that it's going to go away that none of us might like. I think I'm correct in saying, I think when he got the number 10 shirt, Mikel Arteta had a quote about, now that he's number 10, the number 10 at Arsenal needs to be adding 15 goals and 10 assists. He really laid down a gauntlet. There were challenges being delivered. And I, I think you only do that if you trust the talent of a player, but maybe only if you don't think the player is fully delivering on the talent that they have at their disposal, Clive? I think he's just a victim in the rising of standards. I think mm. Trossard has come in and taken all his minutes away. Right? That's number one. Vieira's taken some minutes away, but Trossard's the real, the real person who's come in. He's 28, been to World Cups. He's a, he's a man, right? And there's a couple of years ago, Smith Rowe, you know, the club was, was in a different stage, a de de developmental stage. Now we want to win big stuff and we maybe just he's just been like other people in the team like maybe Tierney potentially the team has evolved away from him and if I ask you any of you here what's his best position has he defined a role I don't think he has done a year ago he was a left winger the left winger role has changed we need speed and stretching ability so the team has moved away from him and sometimes that just happens right we've got to find another way yeah yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with him, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he goes. But equally, I think the talent is there that it wouldn't surprise me if he comes back into the group and, and delivers. Um, I think this is a good one because we, we are all looking up at Manchester City thinking that's the next step we have to take. But there's a lot of uh, resources and strong clubs in the league. Obviously, Spurs and Chelsea not among them. But uh, Frederick Torstensen asks, um, and, and I'll throw this to you, Paul. Uh, reluctantly. Um, I know we've run away a bit from most of the other big six or seven, but going into the summer, what other club will you be keeping an extra eye on? Who do you fear? Not City. No. That's a good question. Um, I thought so. Look, I think there's a big gap between City and there should be a big gap between us and the rest. I don't think anybody... I, at our club should be scared of what's coming from the other guys. Chelsea, uh, uh, like they're a clusterfuck and they're like, they need to see a psychiatrist collectively before they start making, they won't be the ones basically. Uh, good old Frank, Frank Lamps. Uh, I'd, I'd give it to Frank another season. We yeah. gotta see what he can do with full control. Yeah, he might, he might have overdone it, um, but you know, who, who will come in? They've got so much work to do there. Probably United. Um, I think Newcastle will discover that teams will come to uh, their home ground, St. James's Park, Elliot. Uh, he has a little issue with the whole James, St. James's Park thing. It's, it's just St. James Park. St. James Park. Yeah. And, that's that's uh, how I'm going to refer to it forever. 
take them far more seriously. You can see there's a kind of a rift on this stage. Between, <laughs> there's a clique, and let me break it down for you. James and I are in one camp, and the other four are on the wall of the Emirates. <laughs> oh, there we, there we go. There we go. So, so there's a none. You didn't see the shit that went off back in the the green room. And yeah. um, I actually thought I might be on the wall of the Emirates. It turned out I was. That was an old Asian woman. <laughs> well, I'm not convinced that you can tell I'm not Roy Hodgson. So, <laughs> it's it's okay. But the, I don't know if I answered the question along no, the but way. We'll, we'll I'm going to go on. with United. Um, I think United might get their shit together more than the others. Well, that's a terrible answer. Tim, do you have a better answer? I mean, the, the team I'll be looking at is probably Newcastle because I'm really interested to see where they go next. Now they've got Champions League football and they've probably done it a year or two earlier than they thought they would. And how they deal with... Um, you know, like Paul said, not but like I think there was a stage in the middle of this season where they were drawing nil-nil at home to Leeds and teams like that, and they they kind of they got Isaac back and they got they got round that. But they're a bit like us; they're in that feel-good kind of mode. And next season, that's all going to change because they're going to be in the Champions League, and they're going to be expected to stay there. And I don't necessarily think they can take for granted that they will. And so I'll also be really interested because unfortunately, it looked like when you hire a guy from Brighton, it kind of looks like you're trying to be a bit smart with your money. I'd much rather they had uh, Todd Bowley, um, to be <laughs> honest, as their owner. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do with that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, it, it is easy to assume that progress will be linear. And we have to ensure that while we are targeting City and we are targeting the title, we are also being thoughtful about consolidating the position we are in so that we create sort of a base camp to keep making these assaults on the title as opposed to backsliding and having to try to do this all over again. Andrew, uh, Nick Wharton asks, when naming your player of the season, no one mentioned Jesus. How much impact did he have on the team? What's your overall appraisal of the Jesus season? I think in the, the first part of the, se uh, of the season up to the World Cup, it was very uh, noticeable how different we were as a, an attacking team with him up front, where maybe last season we didn't have movement and pace and, uh, you know, good things that you want from a center forward. We didn't necessarily have those uh, as much as we needed. And we saw what Jesus brought that was different. Um, you know, the battles that he won. I think what we've kind of forgotten maybe in the second half of the season is that he did give us an outlet at times. You know, he was plucking balls out of the air against big central defenders. He was winning balls in the air. He was spinning them, turning them, uh, and causing defenses all kinds of problems, which I think after the, the World Cup and the injury, he didn't really do. And it's a bit of a strange one that perhaps he scored maybe more goals after the, the injury or had his best goal-scoring spell. Um, so... I think he had a huge impact in that first half of the season and maybe the second half uh, and the fact that he faded a bit has, has um, made us a little, bl not blind to that, but I think we've just forgotten a bit. I'd really like to get Paul's impact, uh, in, uh, input on this as well, yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. Elliot. Um, what's he up to? Um, look, I think Jesus did something. We came flying, pre-season last year was great and we came flying out of the blocks we won, what, nine out of 10 or eight out of nine of our first games. Uh, and you saw a level of football performance 
impact, fast starts at the start of each first half, second half. We, we were on this blistering run, and I think he reset, him, Zinchenko, had an impact of resetting what we thought a performance would be, what we could do to an opponent. I think it, it was kind of like breaking a bone and resetting it. We had a different conception of how we could play with and without him, and I think the, the uh, credit he's due is immeasurable to... Uh, uh, there's the whole impact within the dressing room, the mentality. I don't think he's as big a player as we thought he might be for run-ins. Like, that wasn't his job at City, nor Zinchenko. They weren't the guys who took a team who had all that gritty... Uh, we thought they would bring winning ways and winning mentality, and it, I still think we can do that. I don't think that's his strength particularly. But what he did to reset expectations, level of football, what we thought, how a game should go, the rhythm, the tempo, and just taking it to people, we carried that when he was, wasn't in the team. The, the guys who came in knew what they needed to do when, when Jesus wasn't there. I think also it is just natural for us as Arsenal fans, and I don't know if other club fans do this, and I frankly don't care, but I think we just look at the center forward as the solution to every problem. And some of that is our history, right? We've had Ian Wright, uh, quite famously, Thierry Henry, who? right? We had, who? Never heard of him. Fair enough. Arsenal number eight. Um, we had Robin Van Persie, you know, the less said the better. But we've, ha we've had this history of some very uh, extraordinary strikers who were able to do things all on their own to take the team up to a different level. But like Liverpool won the title with Firmino. And his job was to facilitate play for others, right? To win duels, to help Salah and Sadio Mane do the work on the edges. And I think Gabriel Jesus, even in his more fallow period, coming back from the knee injury, has shown some of that fight and that grit and that determination that you can win with. I mean, his finishing is certainly a concern, but I think our, our consistent need to focus on the center forward sort of elides the point that we scored a lot of goals during this run-in, and that is not why we failed. It's what happened at the other end of the pitch. So I think there's an undue focus on that, Clive, and to some extent, maybe the undue focus on striker is because of that history of talent, but is it fair to say that maybe we need to look other places, midfield, defensively, other, other parts of the pitch let us down when the, when the football fell apart? Yeah, I think Jesus came in, and what he did, he raised our belief structure he made us believe and then we think we won 12 out of the first 14 games drew one lost one and then we went into the world cup break and we all believed that's down to him primarily uh, he really changed how we felt about a team you turn the you turn the year he gets injured and we all now believe maybe we forgot why we believed who raised our level of expectations and he was a big part of that so we've all got short memories I, i'm i'm not too worried about him I need a couple more like him is what i want you know, a couple more like him. When we talk about our front three, we don't argue about who's going to play. And we need to have more arguments about who's going to play in that front three. I think they're so clearly the best three, for me anyway. Um, and I don't want that to be the case. I want us to have blaring rows, Elliot, about who should start in that front three. Because then we're getting somewhere. And that's the truth of it. You know I'm terribly frightened of you. We're not going to have any blaring rounds. I'm going to nod. I'm going to smile. I'm going to say that was brilliant. We're going to move on. Um, Tim, just as a final point on Jesus, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I get the sense he has never been adored uh, in Brazil and that mm. there are questions about him in that position uh, on a national team level. And, 
you know, that sort of makes me wonder, right? We're relying on him to be the star striker. He has struggled to impose himself, obviously a nation renowned for immense attacking talent, so there's no shame there. But how do you square that circle, the reputation he has in Brazil, how you see him as an Arsenal player, and if maybe they see something that we're starting to see? Yeah, I think the first thing is he didn't come up as a striker. He came up as a winger. Mm. His hero was Jorginho, and that was the player he was. And then Palmeiras, when he was 17, had a striker crisis. They stuck him up front and went, wow, and they won the league with yeah, him up yeah. front. But like, I don't think in his mind, in his heart, I don't think he's a striker. I don't think he's the guy we just had on stage that would like just a step over his yeah, granny to go and score a goal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like... Uh, yeah, on an international level, you guys talked about the World Cup. I, I think that did significant damage for us and for him because he had a really bad time at the 2018 World Cup. He actually didn't play badly. Their whole team set around Neymar. So his whole job is to tee up Neymar. But like, when you play up front for Brazil in a World Cup, like, my mother-in-law watched Brazil at the World Cup. She hated football, absolutely hated it. But she would watch Brazil at the World Cup. That's like 200 million people watching you. They don't necessarily know, all know about football. They just know the centre forward didn't score a goal. He's shit. And that's, that's what he got from the last World Cup. And so when it came to this World Cup, I think he went with that injury. And I think he was so desperate everything depends on that for him and he, I think he really put his body on the line and he aggravated that injury and you know I think if you take that away maybe he just spends three weeks out has his knee cleaned out and we get him back but because it's Brazil at the World Cup and he had a bad time at 2018 he was desperate absolutely desperate to go and make up for that I think he's suffering by just not being Haaland the city got this guy who's just super natural and he's not him so we just look at him and say, you're not him. We want someone like that bloke up there. You know, and sometimes that's it's as simple as that. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. And it just so happens that he's that target man striker, that running behind striker. And just at the time that he comes into the league and transforms City, we go the other direction. And so that contrast is pretty clear. Uh, John asked, by the way, Clive, are you transferring to the Luton Vision podcast? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, Luton won today. Um, I'm really, really happy. I live about you know, five miles from Luton, so uh, it's a massive day for the area, and I'm really, really buzzing about Luton it. Luton away the year they do away with the away scheme. Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andrew, I think it would be, if we're running low on time, it might be nice for everybody to have maybe a final, a final say, a final contribution, if you think sure. that's an appropriate way to go. I certainly offer, offer that honor up to well, you. Well, I was going to ask, uh, maybe I'll ask James, just you know, what you're hoping for tomorrow. I know it's not a game that means <laughs> a great deal, but like, it would be nice to go out uh, with a win in front of these players who've given us a lot this season. I think it's really important, actually, especially given what's happened in the last few weeks. And last season, we had a similar situation where Champions League qualification slipped away from us <clears throat> but we were at least able to kind of salute the team on the final day and, you know, recognise what they'd contributed over the course of the season. I think, as a group, the players probably need that as well. I think this has been hard these last few weeks, and I think it takes a toll. And I think uh, there's a lot of people probably quite ready to go on holiday, but it'd be nice if they went, you know, in a better frame of mind. So I'm, I really hope that they can do themselves justice and, you know, enjoy uh, the appreciation that they'll get from the supporters. Well said. 
Paul? Uh, I would echo that, James. They need to be reminded, we all love them. They probably suspect we all love them, <laughs> but they need to hear that. They need to go away having it ringing in their ears because there's nothing like the real thing. It just needs to be the stadium giving them one ginormous hug. That's what I think it'll be. Uh, Everton last year was quite fun. In somewhat similar circumstances, we spanked in, what was it, five goals? Five, yeah. Yeah. I think Cedric scored that day. Yeah. It was a cross, wasn't it? It was, a cross. It, a cross. it was not a cross. It absolutely was a cross. <laughs> he actually had a fantastic performance, but we're not going to fall out of that over now. Uh, you give him a stock right. rising? <laughs> I absolutely did. Um, so who knows what surprises will come tomorrow, but like, uh, they'll get a chance to feel the love and they need to, they've, they've earned that. Final thought, Clive? Yeah, we're all sort of focused on next season already, aren't we? Well, I think most of us are looking at transfer rumours, etc. So the Brighton experience wasn't great at the end. And I almost feel like, oh, can we be a bit better as a, as a fan group and make sure we appreciate the players in a slightly different way? I know disappointment and grief comes at different times and we accept it in different ways. So it's a personal decision, but it wasn't nice seeing all the red seats towards the end of that game. I didn't think it was good. So, um, so yeah, I'm hoping tomorrow we can say, you know what? We did really, really well. We can show the team exactly what we think about them. And I, I think it's going to be a really good day, particularly if we get the win. So, yeah. Tim? Yeah, I, I think as well, we've all had time to process this now. It's not like we threw it away against Brighton, like it happened before that. So I think we've all had at least a month now, probably more if we're honest with ourselves, to, to you know, understand where the season's actually gone and actually like now just to kind of reset. And, you know, you guys have been in the stadium, like it's been edgier since February. It just has, like, because we all wanted to win the league so badly. Um, but I think with that kind of, if perhaps Forest was the game where it went away, which it wasn't, like it was well before that, then, you know, maybe that would have a bearing. But I'm, I'm actually, I'm pretty confident that, like, everyone will have that reset. Wolves kind of look in a bit of disarray. They've got the manager kind of saying, you didn't tell me about these FFP problems when you appointed me. What's going on there? Like, they look a bit, <laughs> you know, like, famous last words, but I think it's ripe for us to give them good old kicking four five nil kicking <laughs> he says before a one nil defeat <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know what we wanted to end this particular show on a high no, note can't do that send we, everybody we told off you happy. it would end badly as james <laughs> prophesied <laughs> have you got a word elliot before we yeah I, I think firstly i'm just excited to be there tomorrow and i i think I'm not in the position Tim is where I get to go to every single game. And so it still feels like a pilgrimage to me to go to the Emirates, to see the team, to clap them for the lap of appreciation. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful experience. And it is very, very hard to hold on to that when you get to do it every week. But as someone who doesn't, I wish that I could just share that sensation walking up to the Emirates with the people that maybe have lost a little of that magic and, and really feel just how special it is. I think this season we got Jeopardy back. We got the feeling that games matter, you know, just biting your nails and caring about every kick and going into every challenge with them. And it's been so long since we felt that. And I don't think any of us want to lose that sensation. What's been hard these last few weeks more than anything was just the ebbing away of that sense of jeopardy and that sense that the games really had so much riding on it. So for me, tomorrow is just about thanking them for giving that back to me um, for the moments that I'll take from this season forever. And more than anything, just to raise a glass with people in person, a hug to say hi, to meet great people and spend time together because the football, as important as it is, 
doesn't get under your skin quite the same when you can share it with great people. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'll be very, very looking forward to the next season coming around and doing it again. Yeah. And buying 500 Jaeger bombs in the Tollington afterwards. Is that Let's it? Let's start at 100. All start right. as you mean to go on. <laughs> okay, well, it just remains for us to say thank you very much again to you guys for being here tonight, being here with us all season. Uh, I think we're all very lucky to do what we do. And we never take it for granted. The fact that we can sit up here in front of you guys and, and have a night like this is, is wonderful and special. Um, so thank you again. We're going to be upstairs in the bar afterwards. Um, so please do feel free to come up and join us for a beer and a chat. And we'll be around until, I think the bar is open till half 11. So please do uh, come up and say hi if you want to do that. Um, for now. We're going to go that way, and we're going to say thank you very much again. We love you, and uh, let's do it next year when it might be third time lucky and we win the league. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.